0: following program is paid for by the Cadillac Foundation.
1: It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610-KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call,
0: here's Jim Hall.
1: Hello and welcome to Cadillac On Call presented by the Foundations at Cadillac. And what a beautiful spring day in our part of the world. On today's program, we'll cover some important topics in the world of health. Traumatic brain injury. Poison prevention, and later some information on an event happening this Friday raising awareness and financial support for cancer awareness. First, nearly three years to the day since the first case of COVID in the Tri Cities, we reflect where we've come since then on turning back the deadly virus and our understanding of contagions like the norovirus that has been hitting our communities especially hard over the past several weeks. A person familiar to many listeners to this program is our first guest tonight, and that's Heather Hill, in public health disease or a public health infectious disease nurse, as well as the deputy to the health officer at the Benton Franklin Health District. And throughout COVID, Heather was a trusted source of information for us, and we're happy to welcome her here tonight. And Heather, when you say hear me say that the first hospitalized case was just about three years ago, I guess what goes through your mind?
2: Oh my goodness, Jim. <laughs> I think, you know, back over the last three years. And, you know, I have to admit I don't think any of us in public health or in in the medical world in general anticipated we would be reflecting on such a major event in world history, Um, lots of lessons learned, lots to reflect back on, a lot of um, ways to think about how we dealt with the pandemic, not only in public health, but in the medical field, but as a community, and then think forward when and if we know more pandemics will happen, they are just inevitable, how are we going to respond to those? And we try to look at what the last three years taught us, what we've learned, and so we can improve on our practices, we can improve on what we've done. But I have to go back to those days three years ago and remember This was a brand new virus, and we didn't know much about how it was going to move about our community, what were the best ways to protect ourselves. So we had to pull from our knowledge bank of viruses that were similar to this one as we tried to help our community um, understand better how to protect themselves from it. And it seemed like our information was changing quite rapidly, and, and I can remember many, many times saying we're really building the plane as we fly it, and looking back on the last three years, you know, unfortunately, especially early on, that's exactly what was happening, because it was a new novel virus, we didn't know much about it, and we had to do a lot of fast learning, and then trying to take that knowledge and, and let our community know the best way to protect
1: themselves. You know, it was interesting as we all have been reflecting on these these milestones, so to speak, but I, I was just reading, I recall the issues with, one was how long it took to get test results back, and then two, you know, because of the debate over whether or not to wear masks and all this stuff, at first it was, well, here are the criteria you need to look for, but then it became known that, hey, this this can spread without any, uh, before the symptoms arise. and that just seems to kind of compound and add and and make the situation even more precarious. You're you're
2: exactly right and again you look at similar viruses, you look at how other viruses that are in the same family move about the community and you try to do your best guess until we actually have better information and and that can be very frustrating especially to people who are not in the scientific community who have studied disease and disease investigations and spread of disease as I have for thirty nine years. Not having information is frustrating to me, and it is certainly frustrating to the community. And so it's important for us to do the best we can at the time with the information we have, understanding information changes. I look over the last you know hundred years of, of public health science, and that has changed tremendously. I would say the last three years has been a lifetime of change in the world of public health.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, you know, and I remember during that time, over the course, we would cite daily statistics and of the incidents and hospitalizations and you know vaccination rates. my gosh. but but where are we today? Give our listeners an update on on what COVID looks like in our community today.
2: Sure. you know, we're settling into what we really anticipated would happen. COVID is not going to go away. It is going to stay with us for however long it chooses to. That's just the nature of viral infections. It could be with us forever. Much like influenza is with us forever, it just tends to change year to year to year. And so we need to decide as individuals, as family members, and as community members how we are going to respond to this ongoing potential infection. And I see us really settling into uh, a time where people will continue to get vaccinated as vaccines are available. People will continue to wear masks at various times, depending on how they determine their risk would be. And again, remember, masks are in the COVID situation are really protective more to stop the spread from me if I'm infected to others. And so maybe using the model that we see in a lot of Asian countries where if I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, like I've got something going on in my respiratory system, I'm going to use my good respiratory hygiene practices and I'm going to put a mask on. is just what, you know, culturally some countries do. And I would expect us to maybe settle more into that kind of a routine, plus, um, I know there is going to be a change in masks being mandated in healthcare facilities, but I would fully expect us to still see signage that if you are coming here and you are experiencing respiratory symptoms, please put a mask on because we need to protect our healthcare workers and we need to protect those other patients who might be pretty vulnerable that you could be exposing to your respiratory illness whether it's COVID, whether it's the flu, RSV, or any other number of respiratory viruses or bacteria that are circulating out there.
1: And the one that has been circulating is this norovirus. What is the status of that? or Has that started to wane back the other way? Because I understand that, was, uh, that hit some people pretty hard.
2: Well, I wish I could say our, our concern with nor- norovirus is going away and waning, but unfortunately we're continuing to follow several outbreaks significant outbreaks, especially in the long-term care setting, where we have an elderly population, a very vulnerable population living in a closed environment. It does not take much for that virus to run rampant through um, places like that. Um, You know, it, it only takes a few viral particles ingested of norovirus to actually make you sick. Other infections, it can take many, many, many more viruses in you to actually cause illness. norovirus. it's less than 20. Viral particles ingested can make you sick. And so we know it's highly contagious. It's still circulating in our community. Um, important to do your good hand washing and understand if you are around somebody who has norovirus, there's a high probability you're going to come down with it too. The symptoms come on relatively quickly 12 to 24 hours later, you're going to be sick. When you vomit or if you have diarrhea, you are actually like vomiting an arc of virus into your surrounding area and it can land on surfaces. And that can be how your family members pick things up. Off of the surfaces you touch that you've contaminated. So we do see it run very, very quickly through family units, um, communal living situations.
1: So at least for now on that is certainly adhered to the, the, the hand hygiene and all those those hygiene types of uh, principles that we've been right. utilizing.
2: Right. You know, we usually don't think of norovirus as being lethal. It's, it's a significant annoyance. But it is so important to think about those vulnerable populations that have underlying health conditions, the elderly with maybe cardiac conditions, where if they're vomiting and getting very dehydrated, that can become a significant health crisis for them. And so, again, those are the people you really need to keep a close eye on, and also the very young, the infants, the the little kids who can get dehydrated very quickly, very easily.
1: Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District, as always, thanks so much. We'll give you maybe another month or so and check back in and bring you back on and see where things stand Uh, relative to our public health situation in the community. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. We will touch on some other public health topics.
3: You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610-KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610-KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again... Jim Hall.
1: Welcome back to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Foundations at Cadillac. And we want to focus, especially with the weather turning to spring officially, and weather like today is very much spring-like. That means people are outside. A lot of our youth are outside enjoying baseball and soccer and lacrosse and springtime sports. And so obviously all of us are more active. And so what happens is uh, a lot of times we want to address uh, topics that kind of happen more frequently at this time of the year and one of those happens to be traumatic brain injury and that can include a concussion and so we thought we'd bring Giselle Prieto a public health educator with the Benton Franklin Health District on to talk about the the incidence of traumatic brain injury and I guess my first question for you Giselle is that's a pretty daunting phrase traumatic brain injury but I guess something You know, could even a mild concussion be considered a traumatic brain injury? Is that true? And I guess give us some terminology lesson here on this.
4: Yeah, so we, um, when we do hear the terminology, we assume that it's uh, something major, but it can be um, a concussion and we can actually get a concussion from quite anything. Um, Right now with the weather kind of getting more better, we're we're tending to be outside more often and there's a lot of um, activity that's happening outside. There's a lot of the spring sports that are just getting started. Um, you can actually get a traumatic brain injury from um, being involved in a motor vehicle, um, a fall, like for older adults, and then any type of physical assault.
1: So with that being said, maybe let's start with, with the younger age groups of folks and one of them, I know, that is very a very key point that you and your team at the health district adhere to, is the importance of uh, people are out on bicycles or, or skateboards and things of wearing a helmet. And talk about the importance of that.
4: Yeah. So the the most thing that we want to make sure that we educate and just bring some awareness around is. Um, taking those extra precautions in order to prevent an incident from happening. And so um, if we are doing an outdoors uh, activity, if you're going to be riding a bike, making sure that we're um, wearing bike helmets for ourselves and setting that positive uh, role model for our kiddos as well. Um, and not only just wearing like a bike helmet, but making sure that it is fitted properly. Um, some other kind of prevention tips that I would recommend to keep everyone safe Um making sure that if you're in a vehicle, you're buckled up at all times, everybody in the vehicle is buckled up, um, never driving under the influence of drugs or alcohol. And then if you have some of the younger uh, children, making sure that they're in appropriate car seats and that they are harnessed correctly. Um, As I mentioned, for our older adults, um, another thing could be making sure that um, there are no fall risk in the home and maybe even just doing some additional... Um, prevention being So doing some exercises in order to encourage uh, the strength and balance for our older adults.
1: I was going to say, backing up to maybe the the, the importance of, of wearing a seatbelt. Gosh, I remember, you know, I'm old enough to know back when we were kids, it, it just, the compliance with it just didn't seem nearly what it is today. Do we have any statistics that people, they can measure in the in the public health space of is Are people mostly compliant with wearing seat belts when they're in a car? Do we know?
4: Um, most of the time, yes. I think one issue that I see, just being a car seat technician here locally, um, we tend to see a lot of uh, children in the incorrect car seats, and so that also puts an extra um it it tends to put them in a situation where they may not be as safe as they should be. And so uh, making sure that you're following the appropriate guidelines on specific car seats, making sure that um, teens are where they should be. And most of the time we don't want them to be in a booster seat or they don't want to be in a booster seat as well, but um, that we're reinforcing that, making sure that everybody uh, is wearing a seatbelt at all times. Um, So just making sure those guidances are being Kind of rule for everybody in the vehicle. Mm -hmm.
1: What about with the the car seat? You mentioned you're a technician. Are you still able to be be doing these periodic car seat fittings for people?
4: Yeah, that's correct. So the health district does offer um, free car seat checks uh, by appointment. And so if there is a family kind of uh, weary about what car seat they currently have, um, they can go ahead and just uh, call us at our number Um, We'll get that appointment scheduled for them. We also do at different times of the year host several car seat checkup events. And so those are free as well, but you can just drive through and get your car seat checked. Um, And then we actually do have one coming up um, on the 31st at Pasco Fire Department from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. So um, just trying to Offer that availability for families whenever they need it, but it is offered um, anytime throughout the year.
1: So March thirty first from ten to two at the Pasco Fire Department is that uh, main headquarters? Is that where that's happening? Pasco Fire, um, it'll
4: be Station eighty
1: four. And so people can just show up and and get their get their car seats fitted. And what's the most important thing people need to remember? As you. Uh, adjust seats and fit seats for people that may be the, the one thing that they need to make sure and remember?
4: Um, I would say I think there's a lot of um, little pieces that add up to the whole piece. So um, projectiles being one of them, making sure that we don't have any projectiles that
1: are on the
4: floor, um, around them, Um making sure that you may, I mean, you may have a, a car seat in the, in the vehicle, but is it installed correctly? Um, is it securely uh, as much as it needs to be? Um, and then I would also add, like, maybe, maybe the kiddo's harnessed, but it's not harnessed correctly. And so um, there's a lot of different, I think, little pieces that add up to that bigger um, image of making sure that everybody is going to be safe. Uh, in the vehicle especially when we have younger kiddos that are in car
1: seats as you adjust and, and you hear about especially maybe if we're focusing on that youth population and, and the issue incidents of of concussions but for anybody what what should people you know say a loved one that notices their somebody you know they take a take a hit on the baseball field or you know uh, fall and hit their head somehow what should people keep an eye out for
5: yeah, so
4: if somebody um, or you suspect somebody has a traumatic brain injury or a concussion, um, just some general signs to kind of keep in mind. Some may include like confusion, blurry vision, sensitivity to light, um, maybe the individual's having difficulty speaking or concentrating. Um, if you do suspect that somebody um, is showing these signs or symptoms, um, you don't want to leave the individual by themselves. Um, and then I think one thing that's important to know is that some signs may be moderate and there are also some more severe, uh, symptoms and signs. And so it just varies amongst the person, but, um, yeah, one being you don't want to leave them alone. And if it is more of a severe, uh, you want to make sure that you seek medical attention right away. Um, or if it's a little bit more serious than that, then obviously you're going to call 911
1: and is that the is that the point is err on the side of caution and and just if you i guess if you at least know i mean if you don't don't even see your child say fall off a bike and 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 hit their head even if they have a helmet but they start exhibiting these symptoms but just if you if hopefully you're aware and you can you can understand that your somebody suffered this injury
4: yeah most definitely so just kind of keeping that in in mind and Um, there are, I know we have a lot of resources here locally, Catholic being one of them that offers, um, various resources. Uh, you can also just kind of go online and kind of see what resources there are locally. If you do need some, um, just maybe further explanation or you have a question as to, Hey, is this a sign or could this be a symptom? So there are a lot of different resources available. Um, and, and technology is awesome because it, it, will kind of give you some of those um, different signs to follow. But um, always seek medical attention and see your provider and kind of further if you need to.
1: A final 30 seconds, if you would, on the other age spectrum, the, our older adults. And what should they be wary of? Obviously, fall risk can be an issue. And if you do, you can potentially hit your head. But it, give us a quick uh, summary for our older adults.
5: Yeah, so for older adults,
4: um, just some things to keep in mind for our prevention spectrum, making sure that we're reviewing their medications just because some medications do cause dizziness, which can also potentially lead to them falling, making sure that they're keeping up with their eye exams every year, Um, they have the correct prescriptions, and then, as I mentioned before, just making sure that We're um, still continuing to have them focus on their strength and balance. And so um, pursuing those exercises that can improve their muscle tone and coordination in order to reduce their fall risk.
1: Great advice for all of us, especially as the weather starts to get very nice as it is today. Joselle Brieto, the public health educator with the Benton Franklin Health District. And for more information, you can go to the Health District's very robust website at bfhd.wa.gov. Welcome back to Catholic On Call, presented by the Foundations at Catholic. And a reminder if you missed any part of our program, Catholic On Call is available via podcast. Just search Catholic On Call wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. and we're going to shift our public health focus now to another timely topic and that's poison prevention but before we do that uh, we're going to introduce Kelly Lewis who is a healthy aging public health educator with the health district and before we get into the poison prevention talk uh, Kelly you'd mentioned the title of your, your role as a healthy aging educator maybe before we get into the poison prevention talk talk about what that is because you'd explained to me a bit that it was a it's a new role of the health district.
5: Yes, it is. It's a brand-new role here at Benton-Franklin Health District that just started in January, and we have a focus on uh, making our community here in Benton and Franklin counties uh, more age-friendly and a place where um, we can enjoy um, life as we age and receive some supports and not be so isolated and have what we need to age in place, um, as well as support our agencies that provide care to adults.
1: Age in place, what do you mean by that?
5: Um, aging in place, so many people would like to stay in their home, and, but they might need some special accommodations from our community. And so we have connected community partners with each other um, so that we can better uh, provide supports and make our public aware of the supports that do exist. Uh, we are also taking a look at our community and how accessible it is, our walkability. And um transportation all these things affect one's ability to um, to reside where they would like to reside.
1: That's an interesting topic and I, it's part of the reason I'm guessing just because the tri-cities due to days like today and the, the the nice climate that we enjoy pretty much throughout the year it's becoming more of a retirement type of a community.
5: We do have a growing uh, population uh, toward the retirement age. We have that uh, really nationwide, but especially here in Tri-Cities. It's a wonderful place to retire.
1: And I know Cadillac has a program similar called Healthy Ages that I know is part of a coalition. And the the mission seems very similar to what you're trying to do on a community-wide basis uh, with with a coalition that you were telling me about. Talk a little bit about that and the goals of that.
5: Yes, we have established a Safe and Healthy Aging Coalition, and Catholic Healthy Ages is a part of that, along with many other community partners. And we are working uh, together to, uh, to, first of all, connect with each other so we're aware of what services are out there and also look for any gaps that um, might exist within our community, uh, locations where uh, services might not be located but they should be, and uh, just help support each other to make this an age-friendly community. Uh, We also um, wanna be proactive in taking a look at how people view aging and the ageism that tends to exist in our culture.
1: Well, let's take the, the topic of healthy aging, but applies, and I know one of the things about remaining healthy is is being aware of certain things, and, and Giselle talked about the importance of helmets and car seats and seat belts and things of that nature, but I wanted to touch with you a little bit, if we could, on the importance of uh, poison prevention, because it certainly affects, uh, is, is subject to everyone uh, regardless, and especially within the household. Maybe just a couple of key points, if you would, about where we are and uh, what, what, folks should be mostly concerned with?
5: Yes, well, so this week actually is um, the National Poison Prevention Week, and so it's a great time uh, to remind folks uh, that we do have a poison control center nationwide that's available 24 hours a day, seven days per week. Um, and I, I definitely wanted to mention the phone number there so I don't forget that, and that eight hundred two two two. 222 and you can also reach them um, at www.poison.org, um, and they are there to provide support uh, and have some specialized training when we might come in contact with uh, poisonous substances.
1: Obviously, I know anybody that you know. Whatever the the poisonous substance might be, a cleaning material or whatever, uh, something out in the in the garden. But all of them have you know. given the event of take these precautions, but but in a in a general setting and what's that? What should like maybe parents most of all be, that have children around the house? What should they be most concerned with for their kids?
5: Right. Yeah. Well, some of the most common substances. Um, that might be ingested are, you know, your household items, such as cleaning supplies, cosmetic or personal care items, or your medications. Um, And so it's important to keep those out of reach and in a locked cabinet or storage container. And um, I also wanted to mention that batteries can be quite hazardous to children. Uh, Button batteries and the lithium coin batteries are in common use uh, these days, particularly with things like remote controls and even in toys sure. and other smaller household items.
1: And it's we used to probably think coins as money, but people aren't using the, the actual coins that's as right. much anywhere. But as you say, it's a really good point. A lot of these batteries, in, whether it's in watches or games, as you, you touched on, they are very small and easily uh, ingested by a child.
5: Yes, they are, and actually, if they are ingested, um, even even one that you would consider a dead battery can actually, um, when it comes in contact with bodily fluids, uh, they generate a a current that can produce a chemical reaction that can actually burn a hole within um, our internal organs. So, or you know, internally, so they could actually become life threatening. So it's it's not very important.
1: I was yes. going to say, I'm sorry. It's not. It's not an issue of just the choking hazard. It's the chemical hazard.
5: Absolutely, yes. And I think a lot of people aren't really aware of that, and might think that that would just pass because it's a small item. But it's actually could be could be very hazardous. So um, just want to make sure that everyone's aware of that and is aware to store those batteries out of reach and and locked away. And it's, to keep an eye at um, your remote controls or whatever items that have those and, you know, look for damage, and make sure there's a, a cover securely covering that battery and um, repair or even throw that item away if it becomes damaged.
1: And another area of concern I know all throughout the year is is medications, especially those that are, are not being taken anymore, and I know there are very robust programs throughout the Tri-Cities area to where they have these prescription drug take-back programs, but just in general, the medicine cabinet can be a very dangerous place.
5: Absolutely, and it's important to uh, keep medications in in the container in which they were given to you Um, so, you know, one doesn't become confused on on what medication it is. Certainly keeping those out of reach of uh, children or vulnerable adults. And also, um, you know, talk to your physician because um, it's a good time to um, continue to talk about your dosages. Make sure you're taking proper dosages and look for any interactions, including uh, you know, over-the-counter medications that you might be taking, as well as your prescriptions that could potentially have an interaction.
1: What should people be aware of? And I know all of these these chemicals on the you know the should if you happen to ingest them or. or... They have precautionary things that you should do, but what in general, what should people be aware of relative to the, to the signs and symptoms?
5: Sure. Um, so certainly anytime you I know that there's been a, a poison or potential hazard ingested, um, you don't have to wait for signs and symptoms, but signs and symptoms to look for would be dizziness, disorientation, vomiting, uh, maybe some trouble breathing, a rapid breathing, pain, headaches or just feeling faint, feeling not well, nauseous.
1: Well, and I and I know the you touched on it at the at the top of this interview is the National Poison Control Hotline and that is 1-800-222-1222 and at 1-800-222-1222 definitely keep that handy but maybe just a concluding comment from your your view, Kelly, just uh, to take away people should, from this, uh, this particular topic?
5: Yeah, well, I, I did want to mention that you you, know, you had mentioned, Jim, the medication disposal sites, and we do have several of those here in Tri-Cities. Uh, if you want kind of a full list on that and some instructions, you can go to doh.wa.gov. But, for example, a few of our disposal sites are at any of the Tri-Cities community health locations or Walgreens on Road 68, uh, Rite Aid on George Washington Way, or your local police department. And um, I just remind everyone to be safe and healthy.
1: Well, we appreciate you taking the time. Certainly it's very timely advice as we enjoy a beautifully spring evening, and there's going to be more of those to come. Kelly Lewis, a healthy aging public health educator with the Benton Franklin Health District. Welcome back to Catholic On Call, presented by the Foundations at Catholic. And a final topic to bring your way tonight is promoting an event that's happening this Friday evening out in the Horn Rapids area. And it's called the Love the Girls event. And it's a fundraiser for the Tri-Cities Cancer Center Foundation. And it's all born out of a public awareness effort from two, late, two women who suffered a, a fairly uncommon type of cancer called triple negative breast cancer. And one of those two women is with us tonight, and that's Sarah Nelson. And Sarah's a longtime graphic design op- firm operator in the Tri-Cities, and she is a breast cancer survivor. And apparently a wine winery colleague of hers, they discovered they had the same type of cancer. So, Sarah, take away the story from there and what's happening Friday night.
0: Well, I met Debbie Driscoll while I was going through um, breast cancer. She owns Southern Cross Winery and also Iconic Brewing. And it wasn't until later that we discovered that we'd both been through the same breast cancer. And at the time, I I said, hey, Debbie, if you ever want to collaborate on a wine label, let me know. I have something in my pocket. <laughs> and so she, <laughs> she caught up with me in February and said, I would like to do that in, in March. Um, it's triple negative breast cancer month. And she wanted to create this rosé. And so we have jumped in and we've made it happen. And she'll be releasing um, this rosé called Love to Girls. And we're putting on an event on Friday night that um, there are other opportunities to raise money as well. There's going to be some merchandise. There's going to be some games. All of the alcohol that's sold, whether it's the Love the Girls rosé or any of her other wines, or any of the iconic brews, all fifteen percent of the sales will go to this cause.
1: What a wonderful, wonderful partnership of of the winemaking. I know your background is in graphic design, but I know particularly in making wine labels and wine brands for wineries. And to, is that what make it makes it special for the both of you?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you as you know, the focus of our firm is is Branding and marketing or branding and packaging for the wine industry. And so um, when my cousin actually gave me this idea, um, I just took it and ran with it from there.
1: Tell us a little bit about this the incidence, if you would, of this triple negative breast cancer. It sounds like it's very uncommon, and part of this is also an awareness effort.
0: It is. So most breast cancers are fed off of hormones, they're estrogen. Positive um, progesterone positive, or um, there's a HER two hormone as well, and triple negative means that the breast cancer is not being fed by any of those hormones, and it's a pretty rare cancer. It only happens in fifteen percent of breast cancers. Hence, the fifteen percent that's going to <laughs> the um, to the cancer center from the the sales of wine that's directly taken from the fact that only fifteen percent of the breast cancers are triple-negative. Triple-negative is very frequently genetic, people who carry the BRCA gene. It's not always, um, but quite frequently it
2: is.
1: And so both you and Debbie experienced the same type of cancer, and now (laughs) you've you've partnered together on this. And it's love the girls, so it's a rosé wine, so all focused on on awareness and, and sharing these messages. Correct. Tell me a little bit, if you would, before we let you go, Sarah. Is just what does it mean to you to be able to, you know, for lack of a better phrase, give back and share your talents? And I'm sure Debbie, the same, share both of your talents for the benefit of others.
0: Well, you know, Jim, you've known me for forever, <laughs> um, and you know that my family has been very much affected by cancer. Um, And it wasn't until I had triple negative breast cancer that we found out that, yes, indeed, it really does run in the family. Um, This thing has come down through my dad's side of the family. And even though my mom had breast cancer, she didn't have the BRCA gene. Um, So breast cancer took my sister's life. And um, now knowing that I have it, it means that my children each have a 50% chance of carrying this gene. Huh. And my nieces and nephews, if they received it from their parent, they had a 50% chance. Um, so it's really important that we raise awareness and let these people know that they need to go get checked, find out if they're carrying the, the BRCA gene, and if so, maybe adjust their lifestyle. Um, so that's the first half of the answer. The second half of the answer is that, you know, as I was going through breast cancer treatment and whatnot, I had some pretty crummy insurance. Um, and I was, I benefited from the cancer. I believe I benefited from the cancer center. Um, there were some some of my bills that were taken care of. And um, so it really feels great to be able to get back.
1: Well, it's, it's really neat what you're doing, especially two of you with your talents that you're able to combine. I'm sure that's probably another, another satisfying part for both of you is that you're taking basically your crafts individually and bringing them together for a good cause.
0: Absolutely. And if you haven't had Debbie's wine, it's excellent.
1: (laughs) So again, uh, for our listeners at home, do they just show up uh, out there at, at the Horn Rapids area on Friday night?
0: Exactly. There's no admission charge. It's pretty laid back. There's going to be live music. Uh, Faith Martin is going to be performing. There's going to be the beer, the wine. There's going to be a food truck. Um, there's going to be some games. Just come out, hang out, enjoy. Drop some money. <laughs> Have a good time.
1: <laughs> Love the Girls. You
0: know, I this is, it is a fundraiser.
4: <laughs>
1: a fundraiser, absolutely. Love the Girls is the name of the wine, a rosé made by iconic brewing or... or what is it called? Southern Cross Winery is the name of the winery side of that that business. And yes. all, Sarah, thanks so much for taking the time and for thinking of our foundation to to help with the support and all the best. And hope you sell a lot of wine on Friday night. Thank you, Jim. Sarah Nelson, uh, love the girls Friday night. And that address is twenty four seventy Henderston Loop at Horn Rapids in Richland. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again next week.